You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dead air. Well, players are showing up, man. Players are showing up. Unfortunately, the only news is bad news, but it's still something, I guess. <laughs> if you want to be excited about some stuff. Um, got some news here. Nothing about the Packers yet, because, you know, these are from teams that um, reported a little earlier, but... Here is the uh, most recent news, recent, assuming nothing new happened from this recording until the time you hear it. Atlanta put Dion Jones on the uh, pup list. Raiders put Dylan Stoner. Uh, New England put uh, David Andrews, Jonathan Jones, Raekwon McMillan, Jabril Peppers, James White on the pup list. The Saints have Marcus Davenport and Michael Thomas. The Giants, Daniel Bellinger, the Jets, uh, Mackie Becton, George Fant, Carl Lawson, Drew Samia, and CJ Uzama, all on the pup list. So basically people report, they check in, how you doing? Still not good? Okay, well then I guess we got to move forward with uh, stuff that sucks. And the reason that's, it's none of those people are necessarily relevant to us. However, it is a bit of, rem- of a reminder that um, the first bit of news we're probably going to get is not going to be great news. It's a matter of checking in on, on guys that are injured and finding out if they're okay, um, if they're going to be okay in the near future, or if it's going to be a little bit more of a, of a long-term thing. A uh, fun stat that's been going around, you probably saw it, but if you haven't, I should probably let you know about it. Uh, Ian Harditz put on Twitter, the most passing touchdowns, from 2020 to 2021, Aaron Rodgers is number one with 85. If you remove every single touchdown thrown to Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers ranks ninth. Somebody in the comments mentioned, you can still do that even if you just look at 2021. He threw 37 touchdowns. If you remove Devontae Adams from the equation, he threw 26 touchdowns, which ranks 10th. The uh, comments on this are a little bit split. First of all, some people think that this is meant to be negative, as in, if you remove Aaron Rodgers, he drops to ninth. I don't think that's the point. And if that is their point, that's a stupid point to make. This isn't a negative thing. This is a positive thing. Because what you have to remember is that we're not just removing all of Devontae Adams' production we're redistributing it, even if some of it kind of gets spilled when you redistribute it. That is to say, it's not one-to-one. You know, if he got, well, 11 touchdowns, presumably, if, if the numbers on that comment are right, maybe only eight or nine get redistributed. But the point is that even if we pretend that none of them get redistributed, he's still a top 10 quarterback in, in terms of touchdowns thrown. He's still going to carve up the NFL. But now we still have to add those touchdowns back in. Another person commented that this is stupid because if you you can do this with every quarterback, um, except obviously you can't because only one quarterback is number one and only uh, 10 quarterbacks are in the top 10. And I'm willing to bet that most of them would not be in the top 10 if you remove their 
number one wide receiver. So you can only do this with a handful of quarterbacks. So it's, I don't know what you're saying. So anyways, I thought it was a cool stat. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's neat. And it's my favorite thing, which is context. The comment section absolutely lost their mind, started fighting about every little thing, but that was cool. Um, Brian Balaga's back in town. There was a, a brief moment of people panicking and freaking out that he was going to get re-signed. Turns out he's a huge soccer fan, a uh, big fan of one of the teams that's going to be playing. So he flew into Green Bay. He's going to attend the game. Good stuff. Not signing him as far as I know. No need to panic or get excited or whatever your thoughts on that were. Um, however, there was some actual interesting news. I mentioned yesterday um pile of guys that the Packers brought in, John Brown being one of them. The Packers so far have signed one of those players, tight end Sal Canella. Something interesting to know about Sal Canella is that uh, PFF, first of all, lists him as a wide receiver. Um, he's been broadly broadcast as a tight end. I think that's what the NFL lists him as or whatever, so that's what we assume he is. But uh, 6'5", 230, easily within the Packers' wide receiver <laughs> wheelhouse. So um, I don't know that it necessarily matters, I guess. I guess it kind of does. I don't know. But um, it's entirely possible that that we brought him in to be a wide receiver. So that's that's number one. Um, he was an undrafted free agent in 2021, so he's a pretty young guy. Actually, I don't know if you call it undrafted free. He went undrafted. He tried out for the Bears, didn't work out, ended up landing with the Miami Dolphins. Um, he did get signed. He spent four days there. Didn't end up playing at all, so we don't have a single even preseason snap from him. But then he ended up moving on to the USFL, kind of blew up there, and now kind of getting a second look by the Packers, which is kind of cool because it's the first time I've really noticed this kind of thing happening. I'm sure it's happened in the past, but you get a guy that's fresh out of college. um, And, you know, the complication is if you look at this time of year, again, a lot of these guys are just shuffling the bottoms of rosters. And they come in last minute, even even, um, Sal right now. He's coming into Green Bay. He has basically no NFL experience. It's already late in the season. He's competing with guys that have been studying this playbook for at least several months, if not a couple years or several years, depending on exactly who we're talking about. He's, you know, has no experience working with the other players, working with the coaches. He doesn't know anything. And so the ability to showcase anything is very low. And to be honest, teams probably have low expectations and they're not going to give him all the snaps. You know, it's going to filter down. The, The starters get the majority of the snaps, then the second string, then the third string working all the way down to the fourth string where these guys get a little bit of time. But the ability to actually showcase how good you are if you are good, and even if you are good, your ability to showcase how good you are is low, not just based on snaps, but you probably aren't playing very well because playing well isn't just a matter of running fast. It's a matter of comprehension, which you don't have any yet. So the point is, having a young guy who maybe is super talented, nobody knows, basically get no opportunities in the NFL gets to go to a place like the USFL, absolutely carve it up, which is, I guess, relative. I don't know what carving it up in the USFL actually means, but showcase your talent. It might get the NFL to kind of turn and look and say, oh, maybe we should give him a second look, you know? And so that's what the Packers essentially are going to do. And, you know, they bring him in for tryouts, they bring him out in for workouts. So you got to be able to, to do something. And that's kind of the nice thing about the workouts too, is because your attention is all on these guys. When, when, People get signed like Sal is about to, and he gets kind of shuffled into the mix. We don't have time to sit here and stare at the guy and really observe. You know, we, we're, we're working out the entire team. 
know, we bring people out there and we say, okay, here's what I expect you to do. And I expect the whole unit to work together. And if one person is not up to speed, then it's like, all right, get him out of here. He's driving me nuts. But in a workout, it's just on you. Here's what I want you to do. And I fully understand you don't understand what we do here. So I'm going to give you something in, in, you know, common language and just ask you to do it to showcase your physical tools. And and he impressed above and beyond everybody else. Um, as far as his USFL, he was the all USFL team in the league's return season in 2022. Now, a couple things to point out here, because obviously this is the point in time when everybody gets excited, right? He got an opportunity, he blew up, could be a wide receiver, could be a tight end. You're seeing the highlight reels, you know, his toe tap, toe tap, cut, touchdown catch, toe tap, touchdown catch at uh, Auburn is being blasted all over the place on social media. And so there's every reason to get excited, but there are some issues. Number one is just our current depth chart. If we're calling him a wide receiver, um, even if we're keeping seven wide receivers, his odds of making the team are basically zero. Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Amari Rogers, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Malik Taylor, Jawan Winfrey, at the very least have better odds. And I would assume Samori Ture has better odds. That's um, nine players. The only guy he might leapfrog is Danny Davis, maybe. And there's no reason to believe that he would leapfrog Danny Davis. Similarly, at tight end, although Tunyon probably isn't going to necessarily start, Mercedes Lewis, Josiah DeGuara, Tyler Davis, and Dominique Daphne, that's still four tight ends that we know are ahead of Sal Canella. And again, I have no reason to believe that he's ahead of the other two, Eli Wolf and Alizé Mack. The second issue is he really wasn't very good in college. Um, his overall grades for three years at Auburn, 48, 58, 52. Receiving grades, 48, 55, 49. So as far as being a receiving tight end, um, he wasn't good at all. His RAS was uh, in the sevens, I believe, so kind of mediocre across the board. Runs in the four sevens, I believe. This past, uh, or not past year, 2019 was his last year at Auburn. It was his best year. He had 10 receptions, 188 uh, yards, and two touchdowns. The year before, 112 yards and three touchdowns on 12 receptions. Now, the interesting thing about it is that he actually did play wide receiver in um, at Auburn. He was a wide receiver slash slot receiver. So sort of a, a big slot would be an understatement. So perhaps the change to tight end could work to his benefit, especially with his speed. It's hard to be a wide receiver running 4-7, but as a tight end, maybe that works to your benefit a little bit more. Additionally, he was actually a really good blocker despite only being 230 pounds. Maybe that's because his blocking was exclusively being on the outside blocking corners, whereas you know he's going to have to come in and block edge rushers and linebackers and stuff like that at tight end. But he had a 72.2 run blocking grade and a 67.1 pass blocking grade. He very rarely pass blocked, but he did a couple times. But the point is, he was very good at it, and it, and it was consistent. 266 run blocking snaps with a 72 overall grade. The year before, 105 run blocking snaps, he had a 79 overall grade. Again, the competition level maybe wasn't the greatest, so it's hard to know for sure. But I have to believe that's what kind of got the Packers interested was not his toe tap catching ability. It was, uh, here's a six foot five, 230 pound wide receiver that runs in the four sevens. Maybe we bring him in, see if he can be a tight end, see if he can block and we'll just go from there. But, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of where I'm at with Sal. Crazy, unlikely he, he 
makes anything. But he, he might end up being a practice squad guy. And who knows what happens in a in a year or two. By the way, have you seen the Rams Super Bowl ring? That is slick. I mean, granted, they, they spent a lot of time trying to cram a lot into this thing. And they did. There's literally the stadium inside of the ring. Um, and as a result, it's maybe the most ridiculous looking ring I've ever seen in terms of just how massive it is. But um, when it's not on somebody's hand, that is probably the slickest Super Bowl ring I've ever seen. No offense to all the Packers Super Bowl rings, but man, that's crazy. But anyways, um, today for me, yesterday for you, the rookies officially have reported. So they're in Green Bay. Monday, we got the shareholder meeting. And then uh, Tuesday, the veterans report. Wednesday is first practice. So we are, we are really, really, really getting close. Wednesday, as far as I'm concerned, the regular season starts Wednesday. That's when things start to pick up. That's when, um, you know, it's not that there aren't breaks, but I mean, there's, there's a break from Monday to Saturday between games. There's a break when you get a bye week. I mean, there, there's breaks, but um, the, the football players are, are in town. They're practicing. The news reports are coming out in terms of players looking good, players looking bad, players getting injured. There might not be regular season games, but the season starts Wednesday. But anyways, until then, we got to fill in with some nonsense. So let's get caught up on the Madden grades. <laughs> Um, I think we talked about wide receiver, edge rusher, and uh, I think that's basically it. The running backs, I basically nailed exactly what was going to happen. I said Aaron Jones would be graded high, not high as, as high as he should be, but he would be graded high enough that I'm not really going to complain about it. Um, he is, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, eighth with an 89 overall grade. Very sa- similar to what they did to Rashawn, right? It's It's not as high as he should be. He's ranked lower than some players that he shouldn't be. But, you know, they're basically calling him an elite player, so it's hard to complain. But Alvin Kamara is not on Aaron Jones' level anymore. Obviously, Alvin Kamara, back in his heyday for like those two, three years, um, was untouchable. And yes, he had that one big game against the Packers, but I mean, whatever. Um, Joe Mixon's fine. I don't know that he's ever really fully met his potential. I mean, he, he kind of reminds me of. Uh, the, the, what we had, the guy's name is what? Jermichael Finley. It's not quite on that level, but, um, it's just, it, with Jermichael Finley, it was always, you know, he, yeah, he's fine, but you, you expect him to be like the next big thing, and he never really hit that. I know Joe Mixon's fine, and, and again, a lot of people, and I forgot to mention this on the, um, Packernet After Dark, which would have been, I guess, two days ago. But another component to why some people get hype and others don't, the, the one that I mentioned on Packernet After Dark two days ago was highlights, right? You, you get the big breakaway yards, you get the touchdowns, you get all that stuff. There's also fantasy football, which generally correlates to stats and whatnot. But Joe Mixon does a great job in fantasy. He gets the stats and everything. So everyone's like, I don't know what you're talking about in terms of him not being a good running back. It's purely based on stats. Same with Dalvin Cook. Aaron Jones is better than Dalvin Cook, especially when you look at just last year. Dalvin Cook wasn't even really that good. Um, then Jonathan Taylor, who really should be higher. If anything, he might be probably the number one running back. They put him at fourth, which I think is silly. But Nick Chubb is fine. Christian McCaffrey's fine. Derrick Henry. I mean, again, it just it takes these guys so long to come around to stuff. Like, if this was three years ago, yeah, dude, Derrick Henry's number one. Actually, Christian McCaffrey's probably number one. Then Derrick Henry. Then, I don't know, Jonathan Taylor doesn't even exist. Dalvin. Th- this ranking makes a lot more sense like two to three years ago. If you base it on last year, Dalvin wasn't even very good. Jonathan Taylor probably should be number one. 
Christian McCaffrey, you know, we haven't seen much from him because he's hurt all the time. And Henry took a step back. But anyways, um, again, Aaron Jones, not really worth complaining about. It's fine. But yes, he's slightly better than that. But the other biggest thing was I said A.J. Dillon was going to be relegated to sort of the number twos. And he was. If you go over to the next page, still no A.J. Dillon. All the way down to, you know, we got <laughs> we got guys like uh, Saquon Barkley, who's done nothing. Cordero Patterson. Um, James Robinson. Cam Akers. Chris Carson with the Seahawks. Then you got to go to the next page. Melvin Gordon. Didn't even remember he was in, in the league. That guy hasn't done jack squat in I don't know how long. Um, Devin Singletary. J.K. Dobbins. The other thing, like James Conner is, is better than this too. Tony Pollard was easily Dallas's best running back and actually was quite good last year. He's all the way down here on the third page. And then A.J. Dillon with his 80 overall grade, barely even made it into the 80s. So again, I knew this was going to happen. It's, it's just silliness. And I, I wish I knew what Madden's criteria was. I'm guessing it's heavily based on, I can't even say heavily based on production because Dillon and, and Jones had almost identical. I mean, they both, what, 800 some odd yards? So I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I, I guess they really just heavily focus on these individual attributes and then just let the final grade be what the final grade is, but they suck at these individual attributes. Like speed and acceleration, for example, A.J. Dillon has an 88. Aaron Jones, 90 and 93. A.J. Dillon's a little faster than Aaron Jones. Right, but, it, but and that's the thing. They don't even, they, apparently they don't even look into it. It's like, no, A.J. Dillon is, is a slower power guy. Did you, did you Google it? I mean, they, they gave Derrick Henry speed a 93. A.J. Dillon is basically the exact same metrics as Derrick Henry. Why? <laughs> okay. So, I, it, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of funny. doesn't matter, but it, it, it's just, a no, I mean, how many millions and millions and millions of dollars do you have? I mean, you have an entire staff dedicated to this. I don't know if it's like one guy or a team of people that work on it. It's got to be a team. What are you doing? I mean, maybe they just, maybe they're understaffed. And so there's a real big crunch. And so they don't have time to go through every single player and every single attribute and how they, but you would think speed would be easy enough. Whereas, you know, awareness would be tough. How the heck do you gauge awareness? Like you got to get some, some serious people figuring this stuff out, but speed, you can Google their 40 time, bro. And I know play speed is different, but let's not overthink this. You're telling me Derek Henry's a 93 and, and AJ Dillon is an 88. Their 40 times are identical. A.J. Dillon is one hundredth of a second faster. You're just making that up. So anyways, that was stupid. Um, At cornerback, they got Jair number two, which is solid. Again, no real issue. Uh, Jalen Ramsey's number one. That's not surprising. I don't know that it's necessarily true, but it's it's the narrative right now, so we're going to run with it, and I don't care. I'm fine with it. Tredavious White is three. He shouldn't be, but that's fine. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever it's, it's expected to, to be fair. You know, you could argue Jair shouldn't be number two either, but I'm certainly not going to complain about it. Then they put Razul at an 80, Eric Stokes at a 78. Again, the only real reason that that kind of annoys me is because you got other rookies that are higher, but I guess not by much. Patrick Sertan was an 83. Trayvon Diggs, they put an 84, which I think is stupid, but you know, you get a billion picks. I guess that'll happen. The safety rankings are where things really go off the rails. They put Tyron Matthew at the top, and Adrian Amos didn't crack the top 10, and I just kind of threw my hands up. The safety rankings are a complete mess. Um, I'm not going to go through my Tyron Matthew tirade again, but if you listen to the Packernet After Dark when I talked about DeAndre Swift, I can basically do that with Tyron Matthew. 
he's not as bad, but it's like he, you're putting him number one, and he's barely top ten in any category. I don't understand the obsession. I mean, it's very similar to the the the, the type of stuff that happens with Roquan. The only difference is Tyron Matthew is a good safety. Roquan is just not a very good linebacker, but. It's just this, it, it's been years of being obsessed with Tyron Matthew, and I don't get it. Just obsessed with the guy, but whatever. Uh, Kenny Clark didn't, I don't think, made the top 10 for defensive tackles. Let me just double check where he was. Oh, yeah, he did. I just saw he was really upset about it. He's actually top five, which I think is perfectly fine. Vita Vea, Jonathan Allen, Chris Jones, DeForest Buckner, and Kenny Clark. Um, they must have some really stupid rankings because... Uh, Aaron Donald is not on here. They make him an edge rusher or something. Oh, he's a he's an he's an end. So this is like nose tackle, whatever. Madden's stupid. It doesn't matter. Anyways, just just the annual reminder that the grades are kind of stupid. Um, it it is kind of funny how it's just an annual tradition of how everybody hates this game. Nobody likes the grades. Nobody even likes the game. I haven't played it in a very long time. Not even necessarily because I didn't like it or had any issues with it. It just I don't really. I haven't had a gaming system in a very long time, but man, it's just every time it comes out, people complain about the graphics, they complain about the the playability, they complain about, uh, you know, we want this feature and that feature and you never give it to us, but they make a billion dollars uh, selling you garbage that you don't want, so I guess it works. They got a system and it works. Anyways, I've got a couple uh, deep divey things I want to look at, but we'll save that until after the break. Remember to check out mercyandme.ca if you want to buy some baby gear. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. The call-in number if you want to get in on Packernet After Dark is 608-501-0718. Appreciate all the calls. We've had so many I haven't been able to get through every single voicemail, but eventually I'm going to get caught up. So make sure you keep those calls coming in so we don't have to miss any days. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I want to start off with a, this is an article from almost a month ago now, but um, kind of had it in my back pocket. And it kind of, I, I, it reminded me of something because I saw it brought up yesterday. And I was like, you know what, we need to address that because this is something that, you know, we, we need to talk about. So people don't get the wrong idea about things. 
But there is, um, and this was a Bill Huber article, but it says 27 days until training camp. Again, this is a long time ago. Can Packers score 27? It says during Matt LaFleur's three-year run as Green Bay Packers coach, his high-octane team ranks fifth in the NFL with 27.2 points per game. Can the Packers get to that lofty mark again without Devontae Adams? says, the Packers have won an NFL-high 39 games the past three seasons, an unprecedented in three consecutive seasons of 13 wins. That has led to uh, playoff heartbreak. It was on to say the big part of that reason was for Devontae Adams. During that span, here's what Adams did compared to everybody else. Packers have scored at least 27 points 27 times, tied for six most, most in the NFL. And the Packers are 23-4 and four in those games. And so the the overall point of this is, the Packers' success has been the offense. The Packers have scored 27 points on average over three years. The majority of that production has come from Devontae Adams, and the Packers win when they score this many points. Devontae Adams, so, so if you work it in reverse, take away Devontae Adams, take away the points, take away the wins, we're all doomed. It's not, it's not what he says, but that's, that's sort of the implication. Can they overcome this? Because if they don't, they're in serious trouble, and I have no reason to believe that they can't. Bill Huber like a lot of the Packers writers, is somewhat of a pessimist. It's the impression I get anyways. Here's the biggest issue that I have, though. And again, you can do a lot of stuff with stats, and, and one of the biggest things that a lot of people do is obscure things. My, the, the number one example I'll always give is what the Vikings, Vikings fans, NFL media, and everybody else did when they picked up Yannick Ngakwe and everybody in the world tried to convince us that Yannick was a great football player, and they used a whole bunch of obscure stats, a lot of which had to go back to specific date ranges and everything else. If you look between this time and this time, he's number one in this category and this category, completely obscuring the fact that in the last two to three years, the guy has done jack squat. Uh, and really, he only had one good year. So yeah, if you, you know, it'd be like if you won the lottery back in 1982, and somebody's like, yeah, he makes like $500,000 a year. Like, are you serious? Yeah. And then you you get there by averaging out how much money he's earned in the last 40 years. And you come to this ridiculous number and you come to that conclusion. In reality, he hasn't earned a, a red cent in, uh, you know, basically his entire life. Anyways, the biggest immediate issue with the entire article, which seems to imply that the Packers need to hit this benchmark. And if they don't, we're in trouble. And we jeopardize this amazing run of 13 wins every single year is the fact that last year, we scored 25.5 points per game. So last year, with Devontae having the best year of his entire career, the Packers didn't hit that benchmark and still got 13 wins and still lost in the postseason. The entire article is based on, oh no, what happens if we don't maintain this level of play? We don't maintain that. We, we, we didn't maintain that level of play. Why would, the, why would the mark be higher than it was last year? Shouldn't we set it at the lowest point, not the highest point or the average point. You know what's even funnier? 2019, we won um, 13 games also, right? Do you know what our average points per game was in 2019? 23.5 points per game. The only reason our average is 27 points is because in 2020, our offense was out of control and scored 31 and a half points per game. But two out of the three years, we were nowhere, we were under the seven, the 27 points per game mark. One of those years, we were at 23, which is kind of garbage. 2019, 23 point whatever, I said, 23.3 or whatever, points per game. Why would we say that we need to hit a benchmark of 27 points per game? Because that's what we've done over three years. No, we've, we've won 13 games three years in a row, having scored 
31.5 points per game, 25 points per game, and 23 points per game. In fact, if anything, we should be looking back to 2019 and say, if we're concerned about our our 13 wins and, and all this stuff, can our offense hit that benchmark, which is a very low bar to hit? And if we hit that, is our defense better than it was back then? And I think the assumption should be yes. So, again, disregard anybody talking about 27 points. 27 points. We've never had a season in which we've scored 27. I mean, we have. Um, it was 2012 and 2016, which is completely irrelevant to the conversation. But it's an irrelevant number. Obviously, we want that number to be as high as possible. But any implication that without Devontae, we're not going to hit 27. And, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Um, it's nonsense. The average doesn't matter. What we should be looking at is the lowest mark. Or, for example, how about this? What did we do in 2010, the year we won the Super Bowl? The offense scored 25 points per game, similar to what we did in 2021. In fact, it was almost identical. So the Super Bowl winning team didn't even hit the 27 mark. So completely disregard any concern about 27 points. It's, it was completely thrown off by the 2020 season which was such a ridiculous outlier. And of course, I don't expect to hit that. And we don't need to hit that. And we don't need to hit 27 either. It'd be nice. It would be wonderful. And as I've said, 24 points is kind of, in my mind, that sort of baseline number. If you get above that, it's a good game. You get below that, meh. So it'd be nice to be able to get that 24-ish. But again, it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, in 2015, we scored 23.5 points per game. We went to the playoffs. Same with 2019, 23.5 points per game. We went to the playoffs. Um, Below that, 23 and 20 points per game in 2017, we didn't go to the playoffs. But, And I'm not saying that's the goal. Hopefully we can get to 23. I mean, get get 30. I don't care. But the notion that we need to set these lofty goals, and if we don't do it without Devontae, we're in trouble, is silly. We didn't do it with Devontae in 2021. We didn't do it with Devontae in 2019. We didn't do it with Devontae in 2018, 2017 either. We didn't do it with Devontae in 2015. So kind kind of uh, two for one there. Number one, disregard that's, well, three for one. Number one, disregard anybody specifically talking about that 27 number. Number two, pay attention to things like that. I'm not trying to necessarily call out Huber. It's just a point he's trying to make. But anytime people are talking about averages or things like that, we got to be a little bit more specific about what we're talking about. And it doesn't take very much thought to look at it and go, okay, the average is 27, but what does that mean on a year-to-year basis? What did we do last year? Oh, 25. What did we do in 2019? Well, I mean, 23. <laughs> because it, the, the problem is it destroys your entire point. The entire article goes in the trash when you just look at the individual seasons. But I think that's an important point also, which is the third point, which is let's worry less about the offense. I mean, when you really think about that, the, the entire concern is we are doomed without Devontae. Well, what do we do without, with Devontae? Well, in 2019, we only got 23 points a game. Doesn't that kind of suck? Well, yeah, kind of. Is it possible we can get 23 points per game, you think? Yeah, probably very possible. Last year, half the league got 23 points per game. Literally 16 teams had 23 or more points per game. So, yes, we lost Devontae. Yes, that complicates things. But the bar is somewhat low. And yeah, I mean, the, the, the higher the points, the better the chances you, you, you do. It's, I'm not saying all you need is 23 points and you get 13 wins, but that's literally what we did. So calm down. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out 
and again, it's maybe not that interesting depending on if you knew this or not, but sometimes we just need reminders of stuff or just to be told things because um, it's interesting information. But I, I again, just something I randomly saw on Twitter, Bears fan kind of go in, going in about how the Packers secondary is not actually that good because ultimately what it comes down to is interceptions and the Packers don't get those. Um, couple things. It's not about interception. Interceptions matter. That's true. There's no question about it. I, when we look at um, upcoming opponents, one of the things I like to do is look at correlations between you know what things matter the most in terms of when our opponent wins and when our opponent loses. And turnovers usually correlate pretty highly to wins and losses for almost every team. So that is true. But um, to say that that's what matters to imply that basically nothing else matters is, is silly. I mean, you could say points matter, right? <laughs> I mean, if we don't get very many turnovers, but we also don't allow very many touchdowns, you know. And really, let's be honest, that's the reason turnovers matter, because we're taking a touchdown away from you and giving our offense the opportunity for another touchdown, because points are what matter. And t- turnovers potentially cause a 14-point swing where your seven becomes our seven. That's the reason turnovers essentially matter. But anyways, either way, it doesn't matter because the Packers did get a lot of those. Even though we didn't have Jair Alexander, who was our number one cornerback in football, the Packers, in terms of just interceptions, ranked seventh with 18 turnovers. I'm just looking at the regular season because some teams didn't go into the postseason, so it'd be unfair to kind of look at that. But a couple different things on that. First of all, it matters because it's somewhat unique for the Packers. They haven't really been a big turnover team. Last year, they ranked 19th. So that's a pretty big jump into the top 10. In 2019, they actually ranked relatively high, but it wasn't because of the numbers. The numbers are kind of low. It's just every other team around them sucked. They had 17 turnovers, which is one less, although they did rank fourth, tied for third, technically. But in terms of numbers, getting 18 turnovers is pretty solid. The other, well, let's do this first. In terms of total turnovers, not just interceptions, the Green Bay Packers ranked ninth with 26. Last year, the Packers ranked 25th. Again, real big jump. Now, the other thing that I I think is kind of interesting about it is one of the reasons the Packers are expected to regress is because a lot of their production came from turnovers and um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, the, that's unsustainable, so they're going to fall off. But it really wasn't. I mean, it, it's it's a high number, but it's not that high. If the Packers are going to regress with 18, then you would assume the Texans with 17, Tampa with 17, New Orleans uh, had 18, Buffalo had 19, Indy had 19, the Rams had 19, the Patriots had 23, and the Cowboys had 26. All those teams are going to regress? I don't think so. The only team that I think had massive outlier numbers would be the Patriots with 23 and Dallas with 26. And I've already said Dallas is very likely to regress. The Patriots, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of their calling card, really strong secondary and all that stuff. Maybe they they regress slightly, but Dallas is the one team you put a big circle around and say that is not sustainable. 18? 18 is sustainable. 18 is not a crazy number. Again, the Packers rank seventh. So I don't see that as a, as a number in which you can regress. In fact, if, if, if what we're worried about is teams that have big spikes kind of falling off occasionally, I don't know that the Packers had their spike. If anything, maybe this year could be a spike year. Why not? We got Razul Douglas and a bunch of guys that are certainly capable. I don't see 2021 as a spike year. I see 2022 as a potential spike year. Not that you can necessarily predict them, but all the all the pieces are there for just having that one guy. Amos ends up with like nine picks or Savage or Jair or Stokes or Razul or whoever. And then in 2023, it all falls apart fine, but falls apart or falls back to 
these levels to 2021 levels. These are completely normal numbers for a team with a really solid secondary. With, with Jair, Razul, Stokes, Amos, and Savage having, you know, 18 interceptions, being sixth in the NFL, there's nothing unsustainable about that. So yeah, turnovers matter, and the Packers have done a good job with that. The, you know, interceptions matter, and the Packers secondary does a good job with that. And it's not at an unsustainable level. Granted, Razul himself may not hit his particular numbers, but everybody else's numbers are relatively low. Savage, Amos, Jair, obviously, because he didn't play. Stokes, nobody had very high numbers at all. So even if Razul loses two or even three of those interceptions, that could easily be picked up in other places. And that doesn't even include the linebacker, Devondre Campbell, Quay Walker. So I just wanted to point that out. And, and on top of that, not only does it just kind of give us an understanding of, of what the secondary did and what I, what my thoughts are, because again, there are some, some areas where you could see maybe potential regression, but I don't see interceptions as one of them. The other reason I wanted to bring it up is because you got a Bears fan chirping about something and um, I was able to look into it, and it's just, it makes me happy because obviously, just like every single category that exists, the Bears absolutely suck. So the Green Bay Packers technically tied for sixth with the New Orleans Saints with 18 interceptions. The Chicago Bears, uh, let's see, where are they? I can't find, they're not eighth, they're not ninth, they're not tenth. Man, where are they? The Vikings are 11th, I can find them, I know that team cannot find they must be down they can't be as low as Detroit I see Detroit at 25th and I know they're better than Detroit because they've got a they've got a good secondary they got uh, Jackson right they got Jalen Johnson that dude is he is so good man so I and Detroit has nothing they don't have safeties they don't have corners so they're not as bad as as 25th so they must be higher than 25th maybe are they number one no they're not higher than the I can't find them I cannot find and for the life of me this is so weird. Could they be lower than Detroit? That seems impossible. They can't be lower than Detroit. Oh, there they are. Gee golly, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> I wanted to put Willikers in there, but I couldn't, couldn't find a good spot. I mean, after G was fine, but I, I was already off the train at that point. 29th with eight interceptions. Oh, man. That seems impossible. The... the Remember in 2018, they had all of those interceptions? That wasn't even that long ago. I mean, I guess it kind of was, but they're not that bad. I mean, they got that really good safety. They got that unbelievably good corner. That second-year jump he took, he's one of the premier corners in the NFL. And I mean, I mean you know, and I, I, I want to say interceptions aren't all that matters, but according to Mr. Bears fan, that is all that matters. And um, that sucks because we want to have faith in the Chicago Bears because if if – if our quarterback takes a leap, we're, we're going to need some help here with the defense. And to, to be one of the worst in football and interceptions, that's, uh, that's not great. But hold on. Interceptions aren't the only thing that matters. And we got turnovers and jet. You got fumble recoveries. And, you know, remember, uh, remember Peanut Tillman for the Bears back like 700 years ago? He used to punch the ball out. He was so good at that. I bet the Bears are great at that. Khalil Mack, although he's not there anymore, but... Um, Akeem Hicks, oh wait, he's not there anyway. Eddie Goldman, he retired, I forgot about that. Who's the other defensive? Oh, Bilal Nichols is the other. Oh wait, no, he's gone too. Our entire defensive line is gone. Um, That's kind of crazy. Anyway, somebody is probably, Roquan probably gets a ton of fumble recovery. He's so fast, anytime that ball hits the ground, he's like a heat-seeking missile. Um, so let's take a look at that. The Chicago Bears, number one is Dallas. That's surprising, I thought for sure it'd be the Bears. Number two is the Colts, Patriots, Bills. Uh, Packers are ninth. We gotta be. Well, 
Right, whatever, that's a fluke. It doesn't matter. What are we, Vikings are 13th? Uh, Lions are 22nd. Come on. Uh, oh, the Bears are 27th with 16. You mean the Packers got more interceptions than the... Wait a minute, That that's not... Because then the Packers would have a better defense than the Bears? That's not possible. How could the Packers have a better defense? The Bears have a good defense. That's their whole thing. I mean, um, especially considering we're going to get significantly worse, having lost our entire defensive line, our best pass rusher, um, a few other players and, and, and whatnot. And the Bears, the Packers defense presumably is getting better, which means if they were already a lot better and then they're getting better and we're getting worse, that's what, carry the one. Um, what is it? Uh, geez, I'm trying to think here. I don't know. It probably, probably, we're probably going to be pretty close though. Bears win the North and stuff, right? Oh, oh, I know. Justin Fields is going to be the number one quarterback in, uh, in the NFC North, right guys? Just like Trubisky was. Here's an idea. Stop it. All right. You guys got to learn when to stop. You need to stop. Bears fans were good at this for a long time. They they had gotten beat up for 30 straight years. And after about 25 years of realizing they suck and they'll never be better than the Packers, they finally gave it up. And they're like, you know what? We quit. We quit. We're not even going to try. The Packers are better. We hate you guys, but you're better. It's fine. And then we, we got, we coexisted perfectly. And there was a period of time where I was like, you know what? Leave the Bears fans alone. They're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. Leave them alone. Let's focus on the Vikings because those guys are obnoxious. You know, the Vikings every year have like a, a pretty good team and could arguably be better, be better than the Packers. They never are, but you can make a case for it. And the Vikings fans always make a case for it. And they're convinced every year that they're going to be better. And it drives me nuts. And so that's where our energy energies should lie. And then 2018 happened. Well, Trubisky happened. Then 2018 happened, and now Justin Fields happened, and they're, they just keep getting these glimmers of hope, and they keep just whatever, and for some reason, they haven't gone all the way back to, I quit. You guys need to quit. I'm sorry. You, you had your couple glimmers. You thought Trubisky was a thing. Wrong. 2018 was one year, double doink, end of the season. Completely fell apart after that. You drafted a guy. You thought he was going to be your savior. He sucks at football. Maybe he gets better, but it isn't ultimately going to matter because the Bears will ruin him just like they ruin everybody else. There's a reason you've never had a good quarterback in history. It's because your team sucks. Justin Fields, as good as he could possibly be, has a garbage offensive line, wide receivers. He's going to be running for his life. He has nowhere to go. It doesn't matter what the scheme is. It doesn't matter what the play call is. Give me a break. And now you can see no defensive support either. So the guy's going to be playing from behind, which means he has to drop, you know, drop back and pass a lot more than your average quarterback, which means defenses are going to be able to pin their ears back and go attack Justin Fields, which means he's going to get sacked more. He's going to get injured. He's going to get scared. He's going to have to make bad decisions. He's going to throw more interceptions. Even if none of that's his fault, that's his reality. And so your franchise is doomed. And so you need to stop going on social media and saying stupid stuff like uh, it's the most overrated secondary in the league. They don't get turnovers. And that's what matters in the modern NFL. Go away. So bottom line, based on the last two things we talked about, be optimistic. Everything's fine. Even if the offense regresses, the the bar is relatively low. And the, the other thing to, to consider is, you know, we assume Devontae makes a really, really big difference. And the fact of the matter is, with Devontae and with Aaron Rodgers, even if we assume these are the two most important pieces, with both of those pieces intact, with the same coach, same scheme, all that stuff, our offensive points scored per season, 23, 31, 25. What the heck is, is the common denominator here? With that level of variability, despite having basically the exact same offenses for three straight years, what is it we think we know about the upcoming season? What is it that made 2020 so much better than 2019 and 2021? 
It wasn't Devante. Devante played 16 games in 2021. He played 14 games in 2020. He played two less games in that season in which we went off. Well, maybe it's when Devontae doesn't play that we do better. Well, he played 12 in 2019, so he played less then. So that's that's not it. What is it? I don't know. Maybe there's an answer. Maybe I'll have to look into that. But it's not Devontae. It's not Rodgers. You can look at it and see the, the offense clicked. It, it worked. But what exactly does that mean? I don't know. But the point is, if we can get back to that, to being able to play at that level, that's what's going to make the difference. It's not Devontae. It's making whatever you have work. It's easier to make stuff work when you have really good players, but it's not guaranteed. And that's it's the same thing I've said about the defense, right? How many times have we said that the defense looks good on paper, but they just don't put it on the field? It's the same concept. There are teams who don't really have good stuff on, on paper, but they put it on the field. There are teams who have good stuff on paper, they don't put it on the field. We just got to wait and see, unfortunately. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.